You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan, here in March of 2023. And you are tuned into episode 438 of The Corbett Report podcast, The Future Food False Flag. And I have quite a treat for you today. It is going to be a presentation that I recently made to a a symposium that recently took place under the auspices of Children's Health Defense, specifically Meryl Nass of Children's Health Defense, who you'll know that I'm having my monthly conversations about the looming WHO pandemic treaty, the concept of One Health, and other health, environment, food-related issues. Uh, she is. She has just recently put together a, a symposium on the attack on the food supply and what we can do about it. Um, it is called the Attack on Food Symposium. It was held on March 4th, 2023. So by the time you're watching this, it will already have come and gone. But I'll include a link so that you can find out more information about it and the various speakers that were appearing at the symposium and what they were talking about, including some that you will know quite well, I'm sure. Patrick Wood, Joe Mercola people like that, Um, other people you might not know about. Anyway, there was quite a range of different subjects covered, and I was asked to talk about the fires and uh, attacks and and arson and explosions affecting food production facilities and uh, the future of bio-lab-produced synthetic food products. And I took the opportunity to put those two parts of the story together into a narrative that I think explains and contextualizes what is really going on here, but I will let the presentation speak for itself, and I'll be back right afterwards to wrap things up with a few words. Enjoy the presentation. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is James Corbett. I am the host of The Corbett Report at CorbettReport.com. And I would like to thank Meryl Nass and everyone putting together this symposium for inviting me to speak. And specifically, of course, this is the symposium on the attack on food and agriculture and how we can fight back. And I assume that some in the audience might take that title to be purely metaphorical. But I am here today to assure you that this is not a metaphorical idea, that this is quite literally an attack that is taking place on food and agriculture right now. We breaking news in Eastern Oregon, where crews are battling a major fire at a potato chip processing plant. Air 12 flew over the scene at Shearer's Foods on Highway 207 in Hermiston. This is in Salinas, a huge fire at a food processing plant. This is for Taylor Farms. And right now there are concerns about a huge plume of ammonia coming from this area. 40,000 pounds of food meant to feed people in a food desert near Maricopa, south of the valley, is completely gone. And tonight, investigators are still trying to figure out what caused the fire. He news that a Pasco County crew is battling a huge fire at a chicken farm. It's all happening on Cow Main Foods along Simpson Farm Lane in Dade City. Firefighters trying to figure out what sparked a fire at a food processing plant on the west side. It happened around 930 last night on Merida Street near South Zarzamora. We continue to follow that breaking news from Sutter County. A massive fire still burning right now destroyed a historic walnut factory in Live Oak. And as of right now, it shut down a portion of Highway 99 that remains closed. In Maine, people living near a burnt-out 
potato processing plant were urged to stay in their homes and close their windows. The Penobscot Micrum plant in Belfast, Maine caught fire early this morning. A Minnesota egg producer is evaluating the damage left behind from this massive fire. It happened late last night in Howard Lake, straight west of the cities on Highway 12. Explosions rocked a Lackawanna County business after it caught fire this evening. Yeah, crews were at the uh, Made Right Steak Company for hours tonight, finally putting out the flames that were involved in that building. Now, you may think that I am putting that list of clips together as a sort of cherry-picking exercise of just taking a few isolated and scattered incidents and trying to mesh them together in a way that implies that there's some sort of correlation. But I assure you, in fact, it is the exact opposite. In fact, that collection of clips came together when the other day I tasked my video editor, Brock West, I said to him, you know, there have been so many of these fires and explosions and other mysterious incidents at food processing facilities over the past couple of years. Can you just go out and collect, say, a few clips, at least three, maybe seven if you can manage it, of different news reports about these types of incidents? And an hour later, he got back to me and said, I could have easily gotten 70 of those clips together. There's, It's insane how much this is happening. And yes, it is insane. In fact, if you really want to glimpse the insanity, I will direct your attention to a Z-Maps map of various incidents that have taken place along these lines, fires and problems at food processing facilities, of course, in the United States, actually in various places around the world, if you really want to start exploring. But even if you just zoom in on the U.S. in this map, it is it truly is mind boggling the number of incidents that one can find here. For example, some sort of collapsed unknown reason grain silos. OK, well, that could be anything. Oh, a fire at night for unknown reasons at a farm uh, in Colombia, food pantry, blessings, vandalized and stolen food. Well, again, a lot of these incidents, you could make some sort of yeah, you know, of course, things get vandalized, a grain silo might fall over, but fire in the middle of the night, unknown, uh, hacked, uh, Iowa Green New Cooperative, um, hacked, uh, Crystal Valley Cooperative uh, Grain, uh, again, there's just so many of these, fire, mid-morning, um, etc., etc., that, yes, certainly, some of, I, I certainly would not think that all of these incidents are related, but, Hmm, just, just taking a look at the number of incidents on this map, do you think there might be something going on here? I leave that for you to come to your own conclusions, and of course when I post this to my website, I will include the link to this zmaps.com map. Uh, I will note that this, in fact, actually is a list that is primarily populated with incidents from 2021 and 2022. It looks like it hasn't even been updated in a year, so... There's a lot of incidents that could be included in this list that are not. But if you are of the skeptical sort and think, well, this could just be a, a list of coincidences, all each and every one of them just completely unrelated and totally coincidental, well, take that up with a well-known uh, conspiracy theorists at American Military News by way of the FBI, who, as this article from uh, last year was pointing out, the FBI was warning of cyber attacks on U.S. food plants after a dozen hit by mysterious fires. And it notes that the FBI's cyber division issued a statement last week, that's April of 2022, warning of potential ransomware attacks against the agricultural industry as more than a dozen food processing plants across the United States suffered damage from mysterious fires. 
Cyber actors may perceive agricultural cooperatives as lucrative targets, with a willingness to pay due to pay due to the time-sensitive role they play in agricultural production. The FBI notice warned a significant disruption of grain production could impact the entire food chain, since grain is not only consumed by humans but also used for animal feed. It added, in addition, a significant disruption of grain and corn production could impact commodities trading and stocks. An attack that disrupts processing at a protein or dairy facility can quickly result in spoiled products and have cascading effects down to the farm level as animals cannot be processed. Now that FBI warning was specifically um, t- geared towards the threat of cyber attacks against these locations. And as you see from that Z-maps, some of these are indeed cyber incidents, hacks of various sorts. Um, but as this article goes on to note, it does come after the odd coincidence of, at that time, dozens of food processing processing facility fires and other mysterious incidents that had been collected, noted, and uh, discussed by various commentators. So, uh, including, um, uh, for the second time in one week, a plane a plane crashed into a food processing plant. Again, that may or may not be related, but uh, the sheer number of incidents certainly does suggest that there is something going on. And in fact, even as I was putting this particular presentation together, even after my video editor Brock had compiled that list of clips of various attacks on food processing facilities. Here we get the latest from CNN from a few days ago. Cyber attack on food giant Dole temporarily shuts down North American production, company memo says. And there's uh, details of that incident in this article. Um, But it is not simply related uh, to... Uh, fires, arson, explosions, plane crashes, cyber attacks. There are a number of ways that we can identify that the food production system itself is under attack from a very wide variety of vectors that seem to be coalescing into a crisis that seemingly needs some sort of solution. And we see that perhaps most startlingly in the incredible essentially shutdown of the global uh, economy and the global food supply chain, let alone other supply chains, in the absolutely insane lockdown measures of the past few years that led to, obviously, a squeezing of the food supply. And this was something that I noted at the time as it was happening there in May of 2020 in an article I wrote called Up Next, The Collapse of the Food Supply Chain. And as always, this is a subscriber editorial, but you can get it for free simply by clicking the free link. And when you do, you'll see the full article in which I note that this isn't these explosions, problems, supply chain bottlenecks, other problems with the food supplies is not simply uh, limited to the United States. It is happening around the globe. In fact, it is happening in Canada and the UK and Europe and China and Japan. And every single one of those is a link to further information. And there should be one for Europe, but it looks like it didn't copy over properly. And it's not just beef and pork supplies that are being disrupted. It's milk and produce and rice and wheat. Again, link, 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 link for more reading on those particular food supply bottlenecks. And it's not just the food processors whose entire industry is being upended by this chaos. It's wreaking havoc for farmers and truckers and supermarkets and restaurants. And to make it all even more horrific, the crisis won't just affect the food supply itself. It will affect all those workers in these industries who are being laid off as a result of the disruption, who now find themselves among the ranks of the recently unemployed, who are lining up at food banks, which, 
as you might imagine, are struggling to keep up with the record demand on their dwindling reserves, leading to stampedes in Kenya and protests in Bangladesh and looting in Colombia and clashes in South, South Africa, as well as the supermarket freakouts and shopping brawls breaking out in the US and Australia and the UK. And I ask rhetorically, can there be any doubt that severe food shortages will cause widespread, widespread chaos in the streets of the developed world? And in case there's any doubt, I'll just leave this here. Again, link, 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 link. All of these are linked up to sources, so you can go and explore that to your heart's content. But I think that the case should be fairly self-explanatory that there has been a profound attack on the food production system as we have known it in recent years, exacerbated, of course, by the recent uh, invasion of Ukraine by Russia and the obviously the upending of the breadbasket of Eurasia, as it were, in Ukraine, and the knock-on effects that has in various countries that depend on Ukraine for uh, supplies of wheat and other grains, uh, as well as fertilizer disruption. I, I could go on and on and on, and I will provide plenty of links for you if you want to, sub, um, to continue exploring these various attacks. But as I say, it doesn't take a great deal of insight to be able to piece together that perhaps there may be some correlation between all of these crises that are converging on the food supply at seemingly the same time and giving rise to the same apparent need for some fundamental transformation of the food supply. And I would like to think that the people who are uh, currently enjoying this symposium probably do not need to be led by the hand to understand and, or to discover the concept of some sort of false flag event in which crisis is deliberately created, perpetrated, or even just latched onto as an excuse for pushing an already existing agenda. But in case you do need uh, some food for thought along those lines, pun intended, I'll just present hmm, these clips from some people you might have heard from before. You never want a serious crisis to go to waste. And what I mean by that, it's an opportunity to do things that you think you could not do before. Because of these crises, because of the geopolitical concerns, because of the pandemic, heck, because of Brexit, we see NATO stronger too. I think its task will be to develop an overall strategy for America in this period when really a new world order can be created. It's a great opportunity. It isn't just a crisis. Hey guys, did you know that the Chinese word for crisis is made up of two characters that mean danger and opportunity, and thus that any crisis can actually be an opportunity? And furthermore, did you, did you know that that entire misunderstanding is based on an inability to properly read Chinese? Uh, well, if you want more elaboration on that, I'll throw a link in the show notes. But that is the level of thinking that these erstwhile, would-be, world-bestriding rulers of men uh, believe uh, in their hearts that any crisis is just a potential opportunity for government to do things that otherwise would seem unthinkable. And that, of course, is the underlying basic logic of, well, the false flag attack in particular, but any sort of rule by crisis uh, in general. Whether that crisis is engineered, is part of a coordinated campaign of an attack on the food supply itself, for example, or whether it is simply 
uh, an ongoing natural phenomenon, a bunch of coincidences that just seem to be happening all at once. At any rate, as long as the perception of crisis is there, it doesn't even have to be a real crisis, but as long as the perception of crisis is there, that is an excuse for people in positions of power to thrust uh, an agenda down the gullet of the public. And you better believe that in the wake of these food supply disruptions that are taking place right now, there are those who are invested, quite literally, in Food 2.0. What is Food 2.0, you might ask? And that's a good question. And I'm sure you are familiar with some of the more normalized elements of the what could be described as food revolution that it has been taking place for some time now. The uh, All the synthetic chemicals and heavily processed foods that now dominate the shelves of the supermarket, as well as the genetically modified organisms, plants and animals that are increasingly being approved for human consumption by various regulatory agencies around the world. But that really just begins to scrape the surface of the bold new technologies that are going to start shoving, and in fact, in some cases already have started shoving bold new foods down your throat. For example, uh, perhaps you may or may not have heard of the bioengineered spores that are going to be inserted into the food supply so that they can track every single organism, animal or plant, from farm to fork. Can we hear a little bit about how Annika is changing the security of the supply chains uh, as the world becomes more and more global? Sure. Um, so sort of on a high level, what we do is we use microbes as tracking devices. So what we do is we convert data, digital data, into strands of DNA. We insert that little bit of DNA into an, a microorganism, a probiotic microorganism, to be honest. Uh, and then we can sort of apply that organism and sort of uh, have it hitch a ride on any food or agricultural product or, or really anything through the supply chain. Um, and what the reason we use a microbe to do it is because we engineer it to go into a spore. So a dormant state that allows it to be impervious to high temperatures and UV light, sort of protect that DNA barcode through transit. And so why this is important is because you can spray romaine lettuce, for example, and you can mix it around and wash it and treat it, uh, microwave it. You can have it decay for a month and we can still re-identify sort of each leaf back to its origin. And so based off the different kind of requirements and different supply chains, um, that microbial tag allows us to get just really granular information throughout the entire transit uh, without having to worry about things like, you know, cross-contamination or of tags, I mean, uh, or, you know, rubbing off from, from one thing to another. So it's just an incredibly hardy package um, of information. Or have you heard of the company that's using genetically modified microbes to create peptides that taste like sugar, but are digested like proteins, which, as the company likes to brag, although these microbes are technically genetically engineered, the desired products can be purified and legally sold as non-GMO. Now, in nature, in the Garden of Eden, sugar was good enough in the apple to give you sweetness. In some places, some exotic places in today's paradise in the jungles, this is not enough. Small plants which are under the canopy of much taller trees need something more to attract animals to eat their fruit and spread their, um, 
their seeds okay. in new places where there is sun. And for that, they have a protein. Now, this protein in nature is not sufficiently stable. So what we do in our lab is we use a method called computational protein design in which we take the sequence, the necklace that is the protein, a necklace built out of 20 types of beads called amino acids, and we mix and match them. Because we know that proteins don't grow only in paradise, they also grow in the Dead Sea, in hot springs, in exotic acid swamps and places like that. So by so rearranging we make, the chain there, I mean, what's the possibility here in the future? Tell me. So what we are doing, and you just drank it, we are it's making a, a protein which is stable. We are fitting the proteins which are found in the jungle to the mass food market. And as you've doubtless seen by now, there is a push among seemingly every sector of society, amongst every person of influence on the global stage right now, to get you to eat the bugs. I'm Nicole Kidman, and I am going to eat a four-course meal of bugs. Earlier this year, the United Nations held a global conference on the benefits of eating insects, even suggesting it might be a good solution to world hunger. I don't know why the United States doesn't eat insects when they're actually very healthy for you. Mmm. Extraordinary. Mmm. Very moist. Chewy. Can't quite describe the flavor, but <sighs> need a little water. <laughs> so, we need to figure out why is this such an issue in people's minds. Why is this a taboo? Well, as children, we're taught that it's gross, it's disgusting, stay away from the bugs, they're gonna hurt you, they're poisonous. And in most cases, that is absolutely wrong. And to prove this point, 80%. That is the amount of people around the world that are eating insects as a daily part of their diet. See, Western culture is the fringe on this. And if we just change the way that we think about our food, we can change the way that we feed the planet. Oh, nothing. Oh, oh, awesome. Like nothing you've ever tasted. Like a hairy nut. <laughs> Don't. Oh my gosh. And not from the shell. The farmers of tomorrow are the engineers of today. We've created specialist chambers to look after the insects and their different life cycles. We can stack this four meters high and as many kilometers long as you like. We have automation systems that are modulated and run by themselves 24 hours a day, 365 days a year in any environmental condition. And that's vitally important to feeding a growing population. These are exquisite grasshoppers. I recommend them to anyone. Thank you for spending so much time with me and watching me eat bugs. Till next time. And whether you have consumed them yourself or not, I am sure that you have seen the Impossible Burgers and the Beyond Meats and the I Can't Believe This Didn't Come From An Animal lab-produced synthetic meat products that are increasingly being sold. But have you heard of synthetic celebrity cannibalism? 
According to its website, Bite Labs wants to collect tissue samples from celebrities. Not for stalking, not for cloning, no, no, for making meat. That's right. They say they want to take the tissue, isolate the muscle stem cells, and grow the meat in bioreactors, thus making artesian salami out of your favorite stars. Each will apparently have about 30% celebrity meat and 40% animal meat, along with fats and spices. Believed and hoped to be a prank, Time magazine contacted Bite Labs to learn more and got this statement from someone who identified himself as the CEO, keeping up the charade saying, We want to prompt widespread discussion about bioethics, lab-grown meats, and celebrity culture. This is very important to us. We think the cultural discussion around lab-grown meats and popular culture will acclimate people to the field. According to the Bite Lab team, Jennifer Lawrence and James Franco are some of the more desired cuisines you can look hopefully forward to should they get permission and should this be real. Though I myself am looking forward to a prime cut of George Clooney. Oh, don't worry guys. That Bite Lab's synthetic celebrity meat thing, that, that was a hoax or an art project or a bunch of activists who were trying to draw attention to the possibility of synthetic cannibalism or something like that. Anyway, they're, they're not selling anything for real, so I guess it's all okay. That being what it is, uh, I will leave you in your own time to explore some of the many, many, many lab-produced artificial food-like products that are in the process of being developed to already being shoved down the throat of the public in various forms. In fact, as you may have seen, the EU itself recently approved cricket powder for human consumption in low enough levels you don't even have to report it. So pretty soon we will be eating zabugs whether we know it or not. If we continue along the current path of buying foods at the supermarket without thinking about what we're buying, more on which at the end of today's presentation, but I think it is important to note a couple of things here. One is that there is a great food reset that is happening at the moment. It is a food 2.0, food revolution, whatever you want to call it, and I have detailed the various types of food technologies that are coming online or are already being sold to the public in a recent editorial I wrote called What is the Future of Food that I will direct you to, where you can find many more links exploring some of the things that we've been looking at in these short clips. But I think for the purposes of today's presentation, let's tie in this concerted attack on the food supply that appears to be going on. At least the crisis is there and the FBI and others are warning us of this crisis and the se seeming solution that is swooping down to save us from this crisis, which is we will have to fundamentally transform the food supply of the planet itself in order to continue feeding the human population. Now, as I say, that food reset, great food reset is happening. The obvious questions that arise from that observation are who is doing this and why are they doing this? Now, the first question I think is easy enough to answer, at least to throw out some names that I think at the very least, if you have not researched yet, you can begin to do so. I wrote about this in a follow-up article to What is the Future of Food called Who is Behind the Great Food Reset, which I will also exhort you to take a look at if you are interested in this subject. 
But obviously some of the names that come up in there will be, I think, familiar to people who would be attending this symposium, like the Rockefeller Foundation, which not only pioneered the supposed so-called Green Revolution of the 1950s, 60s, that began uh, setting the world down the slippery path towards the Gene Revolution, more on which in a moment, in which the factory farming system was institutionalized and spread around the world through the auspices of such things as the U.S. government uh, Food for Peace program uh, that was essentially funding the large uh, seed cartels and petroleum interests like the Rockefeller family were obviously uh, heavily invested in, and others that enabled this industrialization of the food supply to proceed apace. And although, obviously, the Rockefeller Foundation and their cohorts have lots of money to throw at the PR surrounding that green revolution, which they like to brag fed a billion people around the world, or whatever it is that number has grown to, in reality, uh, there are much, much deeper questions and problems that have arisen uh, in the result of the destruction of traditional farming systems and communities in favor of these large industrial factory farming types of endeavors that them themselves uh, have given rise to the gene revolution, or at least provided an outlet for that gene revolution to take place, whereby now more and more resources of the Gates Foundation, uh, sorry, the Rockefeller Foundation, I get ahead of myself, and others are going towards developing specifically crops and increasingly livestock who are genetically modified and tailored for various environments that, again, is being sold as a wonderful revolution that will increase yields, etc., etc., although there is much, much evidence to show that that is, in fact, not the case. And also, as an added bonus, we get the in the absolute environmental destruction of the smothering of the planet in glyphosate, just to name one of the chemicals that is attendant uh, upon this GMO cultivation, um, that has now become the most used agricultural uh, product in human history and is having health effects around the world. Um, much, much more to say on that. Again, please, at the very least, type glyphosate into my search bar and you will start to be able to explore some of that. Um, but I do, of course, raise the specter of the gene revolution and some of the other philanthropic endeavors like the Rockefeller Foundation that have gotten involved in this in recent years, like, of course, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and perhaps, more to the point, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation Trust, which is uh, the investment vehicle, which is technically separate from the foundation which is involved in its philanthropic endeavors, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation Trust is the investment vehicle which is used to fund that philanthropic endeavor. And yes, you better believe, of course, Gates is invested in all sorts of aspects of the great food reset, including the aforementioned impossible meat and beyond burgers and what have you, uh, in order to profit off of the very types of food technology which we are being told is going to save the world from this perceived crisis. There's obviously a lot of information to explore there, and although the fact-checkers of the world will tell you that it is not important that Bill Gates is now the single largest farm holder, uh, farmland holder in the United States, uh, that's not important because it's just a tiny percentage of the overall farmland in the United States. It, at the very least, should give anyone uh, who is being intellectually honest, pause for thought why this multi-billionaire philanthropist 
is so deeply, so heavily invested in agricultural production at the same time that he is also invested in the alternatives to this agricultural production um, that are represented by the lab-grown meats of the future of food. Uh, there are many, many, many other players at this table, however, and that deserve to be explored. Of course, the uh, previously alluded to Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum with their consistent pimping of the Eat the Bugs agenda would be one person on that list, as would such things as the Davos of Food, which you may or may not have heard of, but you probably will in future. It's called the Eat Forum, the, uh, uh, the Stockholm Eat Forum, which uh, convenes people, uh, high-ranking industrial uh, tycoons and others, um, bigwigs in the food world, um, for talks about how to transform the global food supply and the, the fundamental uh, ways in which people derive their food. Uh, there are some interesting things to note about an organization like that. We could also explore the links of, again, philanthropic endeavors like USAID, which is surely something that all sides of the phony left-right spectrum can get behind. Of course, because it's the US government giving its wonderful aid to people around the world with significant strings attached. And I don't think you need a lot of imagination to see how that can be used to foist transformations like the aforementioned green and gene revolutions on the developing world. Um, there's there's so many other players at this table and so many things to get into. I will point you, for example, to uh, an editorial I wrote a couple of years ago on Another Globalist Simulation Comes True, which shows that just as Event 201, the simulation of a globally spreading coronavirus, was taking place at... Pr pretty much the exact same time that we were asked to believe that that was actually taking place in reality. Uh, we also had uh, the food chain reaction game, a war game, a simulation that was taking place back in 2015 that had a number of interesting elements to it. It was uh, participated in and steered by such illustrious bodies as the World Bank and the International Finance, Finance Corporation and the United Nations Environment Program, along with some of the corporate entities that are heavily involved in the cartelization of the food supply, like uh, Louis Dreyfus Commodities, Mars Inc., Thomson Reuters, other interesting players at that table who were wargaming out potential food crises in the future, including a 2022 uh, looming possibility of food su supply disruption that ended with the, in the war game simulation that was taking place again eight years ago, ended with the EU imposing a meat tax, which eventuated ultimately as the game played out in a global carbon tax to save us from the scourge of global warming-related food crises. So ultimately, the United Nations, of course, gets its pound of flesh as payment to the weather gods. So an awful lot of... Uh, there are many, many, many other players that could be talked about in this developing, ongoing, concerted attack on the food supply that is taking place and the types of technologies that are being foisted on us in order to, uh, to affect that transformation. But... For the purposes of today's presentation, I think the other side of that question that we raised uh, the specter of earlier is important to answer. Why are these players involved in this food 2.0 revolution? And the obvious common factor that obviously unites, I think, every player at this table is 
the, um, again, the crass and obvious answer of money. And of course, there is lots of money to be made, especially when we start taking the natural abundance of the producti productivity of the earth itself, the incredible abundance of seeds giving rise to new life with minimal inputs. Uh, that process, which has sustained humanity throughout countless generations, is being swept aside out of expediency, out of necessity because of the impending global warming crisis or something along those lines and being replaced with lab manufactured synthetic food products that are coming from corporations. Again, it does not take an, a genius to understand how the monopolization of the food supply or the cartelization of the food supply would be very financially lucrative for all of the people invested, literally invested in that food transformation. But having said that, I do not think that the, the monetary incentive is the sole explanatory uh, agent here, and I don't think it's even the most convincing one. Yes, there certainly is money to be made, and that will unite all of these players in this agenda, but I think that there is a much deeper agenda going on here, and that is alluded to in my use of the moniker, the great food reset, because I think food 2.0 and this revolution that we are living through is very much connected into the Great Reset uh, that the World Economic Forum has been talking about for the last few years, uh, propounded by the likes of Klaus Schwab, who has told us repeatedly that uh, the Great Reset involves all of these incredible systemic transformations that are brought about by Fourth Industrial Revolution technologies, the the brain chips and the AI and the synthetic foods and whatever else is coming um, that will ultimately serve to converge our biological and physical and digital identities. Now, that sounds like a very pie-in-the-sky concept, so uh, there's a lot that needs to be elaborated on in order to truly appreciate what is being said in a statement like that, but I think it is important to note that there is a broader uh, transformation not just of the food supply, but if we are what we eat, then the transformation of the food supply does uh, I indicate a transformation of humanity itself. And just as organisms are increasingly being genetically modified and engineered, I think the, humans, the human species is also being transformed, engineered, um, genetically and otherwise, by the types of technologies that I think the food transformation, food 2.0, are just one subset of. Uh, this is part of a larger transhuman uh, agenda, which is embodied in that phrase by Klaus Schwab. Again, do not take this from James Corbett. Take it from people like Schwab, who are promising that the future holds the, the convergence of our biological and digital identities. I think humans are being engineered to better interface with machines as the brain chips and other technologies start to come online. And, well, I think the machines will require different energy components than simply this organic food stuff that we've been used to as regular substrate human 1.0. This will sound absolutely outlandish to people who have not studied this agenda. And all I can say is I have thousands and thousands of hours of media that I think 
will start to fill in some of the blanks that sound absolutely outlandish to people <laughs> who have not encountered this before. Uh, some of the key words that I would highly suggest that you check out uh, not only include the aforementioned transhumanism, but specifically the key phrase biodigital convergence. And once again, please do not take it from James Corbett, Joe Schmo living in Japan, who's this guy? Uh, please take it from the sources themselves. For example, I will point you in the direction of a very interesting document from Policy Horizons Canada, a future think-do tank from that is part of the uh, the government of Canada that put out a document on biodigital convergence a few years ago and followed it up uh, just, uh, I believe, last year, um, talking about this melding of the physical and digital worlds as machines become more and more integrated with organic life and start to think of this engineering of the food supply in those terms because at that point I think we start to see this is about much more than simply accruing dollars in the bank accounts of some of these would-be world controllers. Once again, there is a lot of information here and a lot to go through. So when I post this to my website, I will, of course, as usual, post all of the documents that I cite, all of the references um, that you have watched or observed today will be there in the show notes for you to begin exploring these extremely deep matters. But I just want to, at the very least, put on the plate today that connection between all of these coincidental or purposeful attacks on the food supply that are taking place right now, and how that is leading to a transformation of the food supply that in turn is feeding into a transformation of the human species itself. These are incredibly important, incredibly large topics. So I hope that this presentation has at least opened the door to get you thinking along the lines of this. So at the very least, you can identify this agenda and you as a sovereign, independent human being, can take actions to, at the very least, not literally buy into this agenda by simply buying whatever is on the supermarket shelves without even thinking about it. No, there are things that we can do. And so finally, as I, as I am wont to do at the Corbett Report, I will leave you today with something a little bit more hopeful. At any rate, some, something that we can be doing about this the solution side of this. I also wrote a follow-up editorial to the previous two mentioned editorials. The future of food is ours to decide, where I talk about our role in either accepting, literally buying into this agenda as it is rolled out to us, or rejecting it and finding alternative ways of feeding ourselves as humanity has done for countless, countless generations before us. Uh, I do not think that the problems we are facing are insurmountable and can only be solved by the would-be rulers of the world who are using every crisis as a potential opportunity. That being said, I am out of my allotted time for today, so I want to thank you very much for your time and attention and direct you once again to CorbettReport.com for more information on this subject. All right, welcome back. Thank you for sticking around to the end. And if you have stuck around to the end, you will notice the mad, headlong rush <laughs> toward the end of that presentation. And that was due to time constraints. I was offered 30 minutes <laughs> to speak. I managed to shorten my presentation down to 37 minutes. You just watched the 40-minute version that the people watching the symposium didn't get to see, <laughs> that wonderful compilation of bug-eating, which I had to take out for purposes of time. Anyway, 
as you can see, it's pretty hard to bite off and chew, pun intended, a subject of this magnitude in a mere 30 minutes. So, yeah, it was a headlong rush at the end, and oh, by the way, transhumanism, and oh, by the way, the future of humanity is changing. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> so, if you would like to start following up on those subjects, of course, there is plenty of material, hearty material to dig into in the show notes for today's episode at corbettreport.com slash foodfalseflag. Please go there for all of the show notes, time-linked references to everything that I talk about in this episode. And there's a lot to go through, and from each of those links, you can find dozens of other links that branch out into some of the many subjects that are absolutely essential here. Um, that I hope I've managed to at least put on the table for today's conversation. Uh, in it, you know, sometimes, of course, it's good to do the big deep dive as long as you want and to talk for hours on end, but sometimes it is good to have that artificial time constraint in order to create something that, at the very least, starts the conversation and people can uh, start picking out the different parts of it that they think are interesting and exploring further from there. Um, it is good to do that from time to time, although I will head off at the pass all of the people who are going to kindly advise me to make three-minute TikTok summary videos of all my podcasts so that <laughs> joke you normie stumbling through TikTok world can can find them and then if they want, they can read watch the whole video. I, I, I'm not going to do that. Having said that, I'm not even joking about that. Please, if if you are compelled to do that, if you if you relate to the TikTok Snapchat generation and can make those two-minute summaries, do it. <laughs> Absolutely. You don't even don't even have to give credit to me or point people to my work or anything. Just take this information, condense it in whatever way you want, in whatever format you think will be effective. Uh, at any rate, I hope that this presentation has been not only informative to my regular audience, as I say, there's lots of links, lots of material to explore here, but also um, to those in my audience who need a conversation starter with someone that in their life that they know might be interested in this topic specifically and how it spins into the million other topics of the great transformation of everything that is encapsulated in the idea of the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution, blah, blah, blah. All right, having said all of that, thank you again for sticking around for this presentation. Uh, I hope you got something out of it. Once again, all the show notes are at corbettreport.com slash foodfalseflag. And that's going to do it for today. But I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and I am looking forward to talking to you again in the very near future.